tune in to All Things Music, presented by Liquid Sound Records. Here are your hosts, Ryan Katz and Ian Illyrian. What is going on? Welcome to another new episode of All Things Music, presented by Liquid Sound Records. Ryan Katz here. Uh, Ian is not here today. He will be back for our episode that we have coming out on Friday. Um, first and foremost, want to apologize for the bit of delay that we had between this episode and our last one, which was in early to mid-December, uh, just with holidays and other things abound. It was uh, difficult to get, you know, whether it was guests or just different curriculum uh, listeners and and all the all the fun things that come along with recording during a busy time like that. So, um, but you know what? We're back today, and I just got back from Nam 2020 uh, in Los Angeles, in Anaheim, and uh, it was a really good experience. Um, something that I hope to do every year. Something that was on my bucket list. Now it's not. Um. Very overwhelming, I would say. First of all, I think it was 95,000 people for for the week were there. Um, so that's just, that speaks volumes in itself. And for those that don't know what NAM is, it's National Association of Music Merchants. It's a, it is the largest music convention slash trade show in the world. I think there's one in Germany that, that's like a close second. Um, but this is this is just a lot of people. Um, a lot of really cool music gear, instruments, uh, services, a lot of different kinds of uh, really cool stuff that, you know, I didn't have, you know, I was there for two full days and I did not have nearly enough time to check it all out. Um, but the stuff that I did see was exceptional. I ended up buying a guitar uh, there, shout out Solar Guitars out of, uh, I believe, Spain, Um very good company. Ola England is the uh, founder of the company. I know a lot of pretty notable metal acts use uh, Solar Guitar brand. So I'm looking forward to getting that in the mail, hopefully late this week or early next week. Um, so that's that's my NAM trip. It was really, really good. Made a lot of connections. I talked to a lot of people. Um, really, above all else, it kind of just grounds you because... People, there's demos everywhere, whether it's guitar or, or different instruments or, or whatever. And there's demos of people playing, and uh, listen, I'm I'm I think I'm a decent guitarist, but uh, seeing some of these other guys play, it's like, wow, I got some work to do, which is fine. It's motivating. It's great. It's motivating, but uh, there's so much talent out there, and uh, it's really cool to see all of the talent and and see some of these famous artists do demos for their products and. Uh, it's just a really cool experience. So I highly recommend if you can go, if you are a music business person, if you work for a company that has anything to do with music, uh, that would be my, my recommendation is to go check it out because it's, uh, definitely worth, worth the, the travel, the money, all of that. So, um, that being said, we conducted, I conducted two interviews at NAM. For uh, two YouTube stars, if you will, um, that I've followed for quite some time, uh, that would be Finn McKinty from the Punk Rock NBA, as well as Nick Nocturnal. Um, if you 
are familiar with those guys, you'll know those names quickly. If you aren't, uh, the Punk Rock NBA is kind of like a uh, information portal, if you will. It's uh, Finn McKinty is the host. He also uh, works in marketing full time, but he he what he does is he he lays out how to really decipher a certain topic in the music business world. You know, it's it's almost business first, music second. Um, but he does it so that the average listener, the average fan can really hone in on, on how to diagnose what's going on beyond just the music itself, um, and all different kinds of topics. And he does a really good job. He's very engaging. Um, it's, it's a very addicting channel, if you will, because it's a plethora of information. And uh, Nick Nocturnal is, he does a lot of uh, guitar demo type of videos, uh, really cool, like heaviest riff videos, uh, best tunes in this tuning videos. It's just, it's more of an entertainment experience. He also was on Shredders of Metal 2, the champion of that, uh, and he is based in Canada. Um, And Finn is based in Seattle. So uh, pretty cool uh, to talk to both of them. The interviews are really, really nice. so yeah, uh, without further ado, I will let those interviews play on. Um, before that, I will uh, defer to Danny Wimmer, Danny Wimmer Presents and Sonic Temple. I'll give them a little bit of a spot here. Once that runs, we will get on to the interviews. So I hope you enjoy this episode and make sure you like, rate, subscribe, five stars, the whole, the whole nine yards I tell you every episode. So uh, without further ado, here we go. Sonic Temple Art and Music Festival, May 15th through the 17th. Two sets, two nights of Metallica. Slipknot. The return of Evanescence. With Deftones, Renew the Horizon, Stained, Rancid, Cypress Hill, The Pretty Reckless, Anthrax, Royal Blood, and more. Weekend and single day passes on sale now. Go to SonicTempleFestival.com. See ya at the Temple. Welcome to another episode of the All Things Music Podcast. I am here with someone who I've followed for, I don't know, probably a year or so. This is uh, Finn McKinty from the Punk Rock NBA. First question I have for you is welcome. It's not the Punk Rock PhD. Well, because an MBA and a PhD are two very different things. At one point in my life, uh, had I known what PhD programs were actually like, uh, I actually would have considered getting a PhD in marketing or finance, maybe. Um, But I wasn't really aware of how those programs worked. So by the time I figured out how PhD programs work, it was a little bit too late in life for that to be a good option. Fair enough. I mean, that you know, some people just, I don't know. For me, I'd, I wouldn't want to be a full-time student. Um, that's just a lot of work to get in there and, and, and do that full-time. You have an MBA, though? Nope, I don't even have that. <laughs> I, I, I evaluated, but the thing is, uh, an MBA really is not going to do a lot for you sure. outside of a few specific circumstances. Like if you want to be uh, in a leadership position at a Fortune 500 company or in management consulting or certain parts of finance, then it's pretty much a requirement. Uh, outside of that... I would say it's really not going to do much for you other than take up two years of your life and potentially a bunch of money. So I did, I did look at it, but I think for me at this point in my life, it just wouldn't really do anything for me. Definitely. So we're here at uh, NAM 2020 uh, in Anaheim, California. Uh, tell tell me about what you're doing here a little bit, because I know it, it, I, I still try to figure out where your place is and everything because you are such a music lover, but then you treat it so business-oriented 
to a point where I'm a business lover. Right. Uh, it's just music so is your format. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, I I talk about business uh, in the context of music, but really, my channel I would say is about uh, business and I guess you would say like consumer behavior and and culture and sociology that happens to be in the context of music, but it's not really about music per se. Uh, it's just about those things as they apply to music. But you know, I don't really talk that much about the music itself. Sure. Um, but, uh, so for Nam, uh, my main job, my, my quote unquote day job, which is actually what I spend most of my time on is I'm the director of operations for URM Academy, which is the world's best online education platform for rock and metal producers. So if you want to yeah. learn how to record or mix music, then we teach you how to do that. Uh, you get our main program that people might know about is called nail the mix. The way that works is every month. Yes. At the beginning of the month, you get the actual multi-track files for uh, a, a session, a song by a real band, a real artist that you guys probably like. Like this month, we have Tom Lord Algae mixing uh, The Adventure by Angels and Airwaves. Last month, we had Will Putney doing Knock Loose. Before that, we had Tua Madsen doing Suicide Silence. We also had like Fall Out Boy, Bringing the Horizon, A Day to Remember. Neck Deep, Meshuggah, Gojira, Periphery, Converge, Lamb of God, you know. Just a list upon list of yeah, awesome we've got, names. We've got like 50 of them or something like that now, so quite a bit of stuff. And then at the end of the month, so at the beginning of the month, you get the actual multi-track files for that song. And then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it does a live stream where they actually mix it from start to finish and show, they how, show how they did it on the album. So you can kind of compare your work to theirs, and you can also ask some questions live on the air. So it's kind of... You know, this is the sort of thing that before you had to work at a studio or be like right. real close friends with somebody to have access to this stuff. Uh, and now we are able to give that, give access to that stuff to thousands of people all over the world. So uh, that's what brings me here uh, because we work with all these producers and, you know, gear companies and stuff like that. So we're here uh, with my partner, A.L. Levy, uh, and then two of the other partners in the company are Joey Sturgis, who a lot of people probably know for producing bands like Asking Alexandria and Bring Me the Horizon and yep. Mice and Men and all that stuff, and then Joel Wanasek, who's a producer that's worked with uh, Machine Head and Attila and, you know, uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of other bands. One of the most prolific producers you will ever meet. So we're just here to, uh, you know, talk to the this is the, the one time of the year where everyone's in the same place. You can go shake hands and talk to all the producers and gear companies and all that and stuff and just kind of, you know, catch up with everybody. Really. I got to admit, I've been here for 20 minutes so far on my first day, and I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And I'm not easily overwhelmed, but but it's it's uh, sensory overload, to say the least. Well, there's 95,000 people here, so Jeez. I think it's easy to get overwhelmed by that. Yeah. And everybody here, in some capacity, does music, whether it's for a living or, or, or just for being successful at it in general uh well that's you know. that's the idea although <laughs> they uh you know they kind of let fans and and consumers get in if they find a way in sure uh so i would say probably i don't i don't know what the number is but a very big chunk of the people here are really just kind of fans more so than people who are actually in industry which you know is fine i'm not okay not saying they shouldn't be here or anything like that but uh that's a good chunk of the people here, which does make it a little bit more crowded. On the other hand, more eyeballs is always a good thing. So, yes. you know. And I'm sure some of that amounts to business in some way. I mean, I I as far as revenue goes and, and getting maybe 
I mean, even if it's not sales orders or or whatever, it's just a networking thing. Maybe there's a, a fan who's also in a band who didn't know about this guitar company. Now they know about this guitar company. They go home and they buy their guitar. And so. Nam and the convention center make money from those people buying $16 sandwiches Ugh. and <laughs> hotel rooms and stuff. So yeah. they don't probably really give a shit. No, probably uh, not. As long as you're showing up here and you're putting money into this venue and uh, the local economy, they're probably all happy. Yes. So in regards to Nail the Mix... Uh, I was going to ask how, how you guys go about landing those big names, but it seems rather obvious since you have uh, a couple partners there that are, that are extremely well connected as well as yourself. Um, do you ever try to, uh, I don't even want to say branch out because, you know, rock is such a generic thing. There's so many different types of rock and, and if anybody who follows your YouTube channel and follows you in general knows that you pretty much prefer some of the heavier musics but you mentioned well, that's actually like, not true actually, I actually mostly listen to rap and pop okay but nobody wants to hear me talk about that that's not necessarily true i really enjoyed your uh, emo rap video but we'll get to that um but you say some uh, bands like angels on airwaves for example who who yeah. is is uh what would you consider them pop punk like alternative, alternative rock i guess rock. whatever you ever uh kind of want to really go beyond the pale and maybe work with, with maybe a pop uh, nail the mix or, well, like you say, a hip-hop nail the mix or something of that nature. So my partner, A.L. Levy, is the one who who makes all that stuff happen. Uh, okay. I did this. I worked at a company before called Creative Live, which was an online education company for like just creative professionals in general, like primarily photographers, but I did music stuff. So I recruited probably, I think I did about 75 uh, music classes there on Creative Live. So I did that for a few years. I have a you know, pretty good understanding of what it takes to make that happen. Although AL is the one who does it for Nail the Mix. Um, so as far as how to make it happen, it's like you said, it's really just relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically in any one kind of like you said, there's different subgenres within the heading of rock and metal. You know, for example, there's all the European, you know, the 2000s European metal bands. And sure. typically, if you get one big artist or producer within a genre, that's the big domino that makes all the other ones fall. Like, they're like, oh, well, if Daniel Bergstrand did it, then I'll do it. Right. You know, or, oh, if Will Putney did it, then I'll do it. So that's usually the way it works. Uh, as far as, uh, and, and that just, takes persistence you know there's people that al you know it took like when i was at creative live i've uh it took me a couple years to get uh to get periphery to to do something uh and and that just takes years and years of persistently you know shaking hands and making phone calls and emails and stuff like that you know just takes time and eventually people rarely ever just say no uh it's almost always just a matter of timing um and in money, but really it's more timing than anything else. Like, I think pretty much everyone understands why it's cool to do. It's just a question of, like, relative to the other 18 projects I have, you know, in the queue, where does this fit as a priority is usually what it comes down to. Right. Uh, uh, you, se- you seem like you, you keep yourself very busy at all times, which uh, it can be a blessing and a curse. Yeah, I mean, everybody everybody does. So that's really the key to getting people is just catching them at the right time, and so that's why you keep following up with them mm-hmm. persistently for a long time. Uh, as far as branching out into other genres, uh, the, the interesting thing is that... Um, you know, rock and metal are not a big genre as far as, you know, record sales go. But if you were to walk around on the floor here at NAM or go to Guitar Center, 
what percentage of the SKUs of the products there are for rock and metal? I would say... It's a pretty high percentage. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a big deal in the gear world. It's not a big deal in the... You know, in in the entertainment world anymore, but mm -hmm. it is a big deal in the gear world. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, I mean, it's harder. It, there's just more. It's technically more difficult to produce rock and metal. I was I mean, going like to say the same thing. Yeah. To mic, a, you know, a drum set is is hard and takes a lot of gear. You know, especially like the way metal bands do it now. You might have thirty microphones on that drum set. Mm -hmm. You know, depending right. on depending on the band and stuff. Uh, and that's just hard. And it's it's more difficult. Whereas, you know, if you're producing pop or rap or something, it's more about sound design, just like picking the sample that you want or tweaking the presets on the synth or something like that. And sure. that kind of gets you 80% of the way there. You know, you're going to do a little balancing and filtering. And, and those you know, type of things that. don't really take up as much floor space either because it's all virtual. Yeah, they don't take up as much floor space and they don't take up as much time. I mean, it just doesn't take as long to mix a rap song as it does to mix a death oh, yeah. metal song. And that's sure. not that's not good or bad. I'm not saying one is, is inherently better. It's just different. And so for our business, if we were to mix like a rap song, we might it might be done in half an hour. <laughs> sure. You know, and there just wouldn't be much to show there. It's like, well, I mean, I don't know. I just low passed some stuff and, you know, put a instance of L three on the master bus and we're good. Right, right. Um so that's the reason why rock and metal makes sense uh, for for URM. Not to say that we, uh, I mean, we would love to do other genres. Uh, it's just a question of like whether it makes sense for the business and whether it's good educational content, also. Right. Okay. And speaking of education, my next question was: Do you have an inherent educational background? Is it something that you've been interested in for you know since you were a kid is something your family has, has done before or is this just something you fell into because you knew that you were good at, at at whether it's teaching or implementing the tactics of education into what you're doing no i mean my dad was a corrections officer and my mom never really had much of a career so uh he's in the navy and then he's a corrections officer so i don't have any i didn't have any kind of family history with education i have worked in online education for the past seven years now which is kind of a surprise. I just sort of fell into it. Okay. I think that I, uh, you know, my brain works in such a way that I guess I'm naturally good at explaining things in a, in a way that people understand. Um, and that's honestly just something I was born with and it, that comes in handy in the world of education. So, uh, the way that I ended up getting the job at creative live is that I, I've known the founder, uh, this guy named Chase Jarvis, who's a pretty well-known photographer, I've known him for about 20 years, um, and uh, he started doing the Creative Live thing right about the time that I moved back to Seattle from Ohio, and so I just kind of joined the crew and jumped in, and I was like, oh, hey, this education thing is pretty cool. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. And at what point, because I, like I said, I've been following you for around a year. I don't recall when your channel began on YouTube, but... Uh, 2017. Okay, so not not terribly long ago, but no. three years is, is a decent amount, well, especially where you're September at. September 2017, so just barely over two years. Okay, awesome. And you're at almost 2,000 subscribers last time I checked. So uh, 175,000 right now. Pretty darn good for, yeah. for uh, what I consider a very intellectual educational platform which you know it's not the sexiest thing in the world a lot of people who who like music right generally 
just kind of want the the I hate to use the word superficial, but the very I would have know. a bigger channel if I just made videos that were like BuzzFeed top yeah. ten sickest whatever right. or or actually the biggest thing would be like gossip and drama, you know if I uh, was like you know top ten times that so and so acted like a complete scumbag, you know <laughs> that would be that that would be the way to get the biggest channel, but. That's just not who I want to be. I don't want to put that ener- kind of energy out into the world. Sure. Uh, so I'm happy to, I'm happy to accept a smaller channel, uh, you know, if it means that I don't have to be that person. Well, and I also think, you know, whether it's a smaller channel or not, I do think you you affect more people by putting out the content you put out rather than, you know, a, a top ten list. Which of course I watch those on Loudwire and whatever. I don't. But <laughs> well, they're entertaining. They're four minutes long. Yeah. And what am I going to do? Um, but they don't really, you know, I don't come away with anything other than oh, that was entertaining. Right. Whether it's when I when I watch your uh, videos, and you know this because I I message you almost immediately after just because I'm I'm interested to, to bounce some ideas off you. But you you cover so many different things that. I'm always like, I really want to talk about it, but I don't really know how to articulate it. And then you yeah. go there and you articulate it really well so that I'm like, okay, now I can have a discussion about it. Uh, for example, your not your latest video, but one of the latest videos is the uh, the whole MTV uh, mm-hmm. music video uh, discussion, which is something that you could talk about for, like you say, hours and hours sure. on end alone. Um, and I always, not always, but a lot of times I find myself at first watching your video and going... Oh, um, you know, I, I think something different. But then as you go on in the video, you justify your initial thoughts. And it gives me a different perspective of, okay, that makes sense. You know, I'm not someone who is going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, I love the reality shows on MTV. However, I will say that Next was, I was I was 13 years old at That's the time. And, and I was going through puberty and I'm like, look at all these guy losers. I'm yeah. not that bad, you know. Um so, you know, I, I, I do appreciate what they did there. I do think, and I think you mentioned this as well as far as MTV goes, that it, it the, the golden age is over. I mean, I don't, I don't foresee them coming back and doing something that, you know, viral and that uh, had that cult following like Next or Room Raiders kind of did because I just think that was a, a, a symbol of the times and with technology and everything now and social media, it's hard to do that anymore. They did do a show called Are You the One? Um, no, what's that? What's the concept for that? So my my friend Ashley Feaster, shout out Ashley, uh, she was on it. You have, I think it's like ten girls and ten guys, and they live in a beach house together, and they have to figure out. They've all been pre-matched. They've taken these attitude tests. And they've all been pre-matched. This is going to be your your match. This is who you're most compatible okay. with from a romantic standpoint, and they all have to figure it out by the end of each episode, and if they all come up with the perfect combination, they win $1 million or something of that nature. Um, it's a lot harder than it sounds, obviously, because, you know... You I like the idea. The, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting it's idea. you the right personalities on there. You do, and it's very much the Laguna Beach style of, of people. Um, but there's nothing wrong with that for uh, something of that format. I wonder if that's what an audience now wants, though. I feel like that lifestyle is not particularly aspirational anymore. No, I, mean, I don't sort think of is, so but it's, it's not... The, the you know blonde basic blonde white girl from southern california is not really aspirational in 2020 no and i think what at least in my opinion what why that is is because whether it's politics or pop culture or things we've been so dumbed down to the point where we're just uh just sick of it like it's 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 had its expiration date you know what i mean i i think that a lot of people in my generation the millennials 
we're looking for something more, not sophisticated, that's not the right word, but something more, you know, uh, engaging. And I just, uh, it was cool in the early 2000s when it was new and fresh. And even with Jersey Shore, that was kind of, I wasn't a big fan of Jersey Shore, but but it was kind of entertaining because there was always conflict, confrontation. You took sides of the specific person because I think Jersey Shore went, was really well because each person had their own brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that is sustainable these days, whether it's on MTV or The Bachelor or, or some of these other shows that still have a decent you know, viewing base, but I don't think it's, it, like I say, like you say, that golden age is, is gone from reality TV. It's all about the casting. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but I will say, when I was watching your, your music video, video uh, the one thing that you didn't touch on that I really wanted to talk about was MTV2. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while the music videos were going down on MTV as far as rotation goes, and, and as you mentioned, it was always Thong Song or, yep. or Jennifer Lopez, or it was just the basic bitch videos. Yeah. Um, MTV2, at least when I started to get really into it around 2000, 2004. A little edgier. Was a little edgier. I think they had more of a, of a variety. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing, you know, whether it was Hashpipe by Weezer or So Cold by Breaking Benjamin, some of these these groups that, to me, as a, as a, as a preteen, I'm like, hell yeah, you know. Um, that was really cool for me to still have that experience because growing up in that era, if I didn't have MTV2, I probably wouldn't have been affected by music as nearly as much as um, you growing up being more affected by MTV before MTV2 existed. Yeah. So I, I think that was a good alternative to have. And I do believe that Headbangers Ball, the the reincarnation with Jamie Josta, was on MTV2? Yep. Okay, so I remember going to my dad's house every Saturday night. I'd watch Cops 8 to 9. Mm-hmm. I'd watch America's Most 1 to 9 to 10. Watched a lot of and Cops. And I'd watch Headbangers Ball 10 to 11. It was always just a, a, a fun routine that I had, and it really shaped... Um, just my music taste in general, really. I, I was into rock and metal before then, but that really kind of took it to the next level because I'm like, man, it, there's all these really cool bands doing these these things on MTV2, and then you'd have the commercials like the Victory Records promos and Eulogy Records promos and all that stuff, and I was like, man, this is what I want to do. Um, and, and you mentioned it. It's funny you mentioned it before. Um, the Unholy Confessions video from Event Sevenfold, that was on there, and I saw that, and like it's a microcosm of their fan base. But you saw all their their fans, not knowing they're all from their hometown, playing their song on piano, playing their song on ukulele, playing all that, and it just it was something that really resonated with me as an impressionable teenager. So I think MTV Two has its own staple on on my generation, you know, um, and then I think when that stopped, Fuse kind of took over for a little bit. And when that stopped, I think it stopped. I think that's that's when it was over. But I do still think we had this discussion with my co-host on the podcast, who is unfortunately not here. Um, music videos still serve a very important purpose. You know, I, I think that some people get lost in the fact that they're not on TV anymore, um, that they just are now irrelevant. But as you say, the fact that you can go on a website and find any music video you want. Um, that is something we never thought could possibly exist 20 years ago. And it makes, it kind of solidifies your fandom or it'll turn you off by, uh, from a band. For example, you know, I, I don't have to tell you, I'm very much in the aesthetic of, of, of artists. I think that's a big part of, of their brand in general. 
And if I'm kind of so-so wishy-washy on, a, on an artist and I go and watch their video and I think, wow, this is a badass video or wow, these guys look really cool or this is really well done, that kind of pushes me to, okay, I, I kind of like these guys now. Or opposite of that, it's a crummy video or they just not, I'm not vibing with what they're putting out. Um, goes a different direction. So I do think it's a big marketing tactic still. Definitely. So, um, What's the newest video you put out? Uh, I had something to say about that one too. Uh, about Shadows Fall. And okay, yeah. So all the all the bands that are the the bands that what how, how would you what, what's the wording that you put? Uh, well, they they called those the new wave of American heavy metal. Sure, but the the um, bands that should have been bigger that yeah. aren't bigger. Okay, right. So what was really striking to me is someone like Doc Coyle, who is in God Forbid, who now is in Bad Wolves, and if we look at it from a objective standpoint, God forbid, is much more pure metalcore, pure. I mean, they kind of, to me, involve all the different genres of metal in the, into their music. Because I wouldn't call them modern metalcore by any means. Um, Bad Wolves is much more of a, I don't know, modern rock, contemporary type of band. Why do you think that he could go from a band that had a much more well-rounded style of music and not be as big to go to a band that's very much more focused on a specific audience and be bigger? Uh, I'm not actually sure how he ended up in Bad Wolves. I don't remember. I would imagine that... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I'm not sure who he knew that was kind of his, you know, entree into the band. Mm -hmm. um, but I will ask him when he's on the podcast. No, definitely do. I'm really interested to hear that. And actually, I saw that you just did had uh, issues on the podcast as mm -hmm. well. I'm excited to see them tomorrow. I had no idea they were performing until a couple of days ago. So yeah, they're playing tonight at Chain Reaction. Oh yeah, uh, and they're playing at the Korg booth tomorrow. Okay, very cool. Where's Chain Reaction? Uh, just down the street here in Anaheim. Oh, awesome. Okay, I'll definitely have to get the information of that one. Um, so let's let's talk about your time in Ohio because sure. that's something that most of our listeners are from Ohio. And uh, something that we can all relate to. How did you get to Ohio in the first place? Uh, I got on a plane with <laughs> about uh, with all my stuff in basically one box. Wow! Uh, and that was no it. No moving truck or anything. I didn't have anything to move. Wow! I was eighteen. And you moved to Cleveland first. Yep. Because uh, because I just knew some people there, and I was like. For whatever reason, I mistakenly thought that the rest of the country must be cooler than Seattle. So I went out there kind of not with... So you went to Cleveland. <laughs> well, I went out there with not really the intent necessarily of moving there. I was just going to go there for a while, and then I was like, well, I guess I'll stay here. Sure. Well, and, and what, what what years was this? Around? 96 to 99. So this was still in the hardcore scene when Cleveland had some really good I was, I was It was a great hardcore scene. It was right. much better than Seattle's hardcore scene, that's for sure. Okay. I mean, everything else about Cleveland was awful and way worse than Seattle. So being but in, the hardcore scene was better. Yeah, and being in Seattle, you, you were in Seattle your whole life up until that point. Yeah. And you saw the downfall of grunge, which defined that city from an outside perspective. Yeah. Um, what replaced it in the scene? Nothing. So it was just devoid. Yes. There was no one in there to take, that, take the reins. And Correct. That's kind of disappointing. And that's kind of part of the reason why you 
Uh, I mean, I didn't really give a shit about grunge at the time. That mm-hmm. wasn't a thing that anybody involved in hardcore or metal right. thought was cool. Right. Um, I was more into like Earth Crisis and that sort of thing. Um, so that's that's what I was. That's what I wanted to be part of. And there's really very wasn't much of that in Seattle. Uh, Seattle's never been a big music town. People think it is, but it's not. Uh, Seattle's a tech city, mm-hmm. and it's very expensive to live there. So it's not really a great place for musicians. You know, if it, if a house there is $800,000, <laughs> not too many musicians that can afford that. No, not quite. So when you go to Cleveland, uh, did you ever consider joining a band yourself? Were you in a band? Did, is this something that you ever wanted to pursue, or were you just simply looking at it from, from like you say, a, a business aspect and marketing aspect? Uh, I played, you know, messed around here and there with, like, a couple little bands with friends that just kind of played in basements, you know, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I was never in a serious band and never really... That's never really been something that was especially desirable to me. Okay. It's interesting. Um because a lot of people who are so involved in it, such as yourself, it, you know, from what I see, they have bands, whether they're they're successful or not, or they seem to gravitate that way because it's kind of like sports, for example. Yeah. If I'm a football fan, I'm a big-time football fan, I also want to either play or coach because right. it keeps me involved in, in that, that. That's how I feel about things in general. Um, but I just I don't like traveling. Okay. I don't really um, get along that well with musicians. I have very little patience for people who are, like, disorganized and unprofessional and stuff. True. So that's a big part of it is just, like, it's way too annoying to try to find two, three, four other people that uh, want to play the same kind of stuff that I do and are dependable Compatible. enough that's not, like, pulling teeth, getting them to do anything. So I was like, yeah, fuck this. And, you know, it, it's a, such a good point. I think about this all the time is there's so many bands out there. There's a ton. But the fact that there is a ton is is a phenomenon in itself because, like you say, you have to find four or five, six, however many people are in your band yeah. that all want to play the exact style that you're looking to play, that are all very compatible with each other, that are all dependable, reliable, professional and they have money to put behind the project. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of things that have to line up. Right. So I, I think it's very unique uh, of if you look at the human race in general that we're able to do those kind of things. Um, now think about how hard it is to build a company like Amazon with 150,000 employees. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talk about micromanaging. I wouldn't be able to do it, I tell you. It's the opposite of that. You can't micromanage anything. No, you, you can't. lead from the top down and create a culture and processes that run, run themselves. Well, I think when a band becomes big enough, it's almost becomes a corporation. I mean, it goes to a certain I'm level. I'm sure but they are. I'm sure well, every every band is a corporation. Well, yes. yeah, they're, they're, they're LLC'd and all of those things. But what I mean is, is more. it becomes... We're not all meeting in the garage to practice anymore. Right. We're all, this is my share. This is your share. This is right. what we're doing together. This is how we agree upon these things. This is in the contract. It becomes much more political in a sense. And I think that's where compatibility of band members comes in because if you have those struggles, if you, if you have those disagreements, you see one or two things happen in my experience. One, the band breaks up. Or two, there is a power struggle. And it ends up being one person owning the, all the equity. Everybody else is a gun for hire, which has its pros and cons in itself. But um, I've seen a couple few few bands that I'm a fan of that have that power structure that it's no longer the same that it used to be. So you really have to have the right kind of people in there to, to keep the product on the field, as they would say in sports. You keep the product on the field 
the same as far as an authenticity standpoint than when the band as when the band started to when they evolve into something much more big so i think that's a big challenge for uh, especially my generation and, and 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 the younger and younger they go um which is pro for some of these emo rap artists and, mm-hmm. and other things because rap hip-hop pop you are you you are the the final say you are the creative control of your entire brand unless you get signed to a major label and things can happen but uh i definitely think that's a good point uh that, that you made there so um, well, hey, man, I appreciate you coming on. I know you're busy. I'm going to go check out a bunch of stuff, but I really appreciate you taking the, how long we got here, the half hour. Wonderful. Uh, Thank uh, you so discussion. much for having me on. Definitely. Uh, appreciate it, and uh, thanks for uh, working with me there as I find my way around this maze. And, and It's massive. Yeah, it's, it's so easy big. to get lost. You want to so uh, plug, you. your, plug your stuff before uh, we head out sure. here? Sure. So if you are interested in watching my videos, you can do that. It is uh, youtube.com slash thepunkrockmba, or you can just search for the Punk Rock MBA. I also have a second channel where I talk about business and marketing and personal development and all that kind of stuff that's not really directly related to music. I also have a podcast called The Punk Rock MBA where I talk to people who are doing what they love for a living and I explore exactly how they did it with the goal of helping you do the same. You can find that at prmbapodcast.com. And if you want to see everything I do, you can find me on Instagram at finnmckenty, F-I-N-N-M-C-K-E-N-T-Y. Awesome. Thanks so much, Finn. Thank you. That was Finn McKinty from the Punk Rock MBA. Up next is Nick Nocturnal. How you doing, everybody? We are here with Nick Nocturnal from YouTube fame and <laughs> Facebook fame and however meme fame. The meme fame especially. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's first on the resume. <laughs> uh, we're here at NAMM 2020. How you doing? How's your day? I'm well, man. It's good. Just uh, been walking around, enjoying the booths, you know, seeing some friends and... Uh, First time in Cali in general, so it's just, it's like a shock, but also like very exciting. A little warmer than Ontario this time of year. Dude, oh my <laughs> God, I'm so glad to be here instead of there. It's like minus 10 over there. Minus it's, 10? It's, it's crazy. Okay, so I live in Ohio and that's south of you, but it's yeah. really like, I don't know if you're in Toronto or. Yeah, Toronto. Okay, so I mean, it's, I think it's like a three hour drive. It's mm. nothing. Um, but for whatever reason this year, I'm a little bit of a nerd in all kinds of ways with planes, weather, all these things. So I pay attention to the weather a lot. Right. And uh, the jet stream just seems to be going right over Lake Erie. So we're getting a decently warm winter while you guys are suffering. Yeah, I'm sorry. getting wrecked <laughs> up there. So coming here was like such, so refreshing. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's been great. It's been very overwhelming. We're just talking about how there's, uh, I guess, 95,000 people here. Which is yeah, it, I believe that. There's a lot of people here. Also a cesspool for the flu and other sicknesses. I'll be gr- yeah. f- fucking happy as hell if I come out here without anything. Oh, yeah, we've been super <laughs> lame. We've been going to sleep at, like, 9, especially because this is, a uh, you know, Pacific time. Yeah, so time difference is we're usually, killing me. We're used to, like, three hours later than what it would be. So right. So um, we've just been going to bed early, trying to, you know, be okay and not catch anything and stay safe. Yeah. So what are, you, uh, what are your goals here? Honestly, it's just to experience it the first time. I've never been to NAMM. Yeah, same. Um, experience it. I met so many people that it's so funny. I've worked with with so many years, like even Andrew Baina. Sure. My buddy Tony, a bunch of other people. Just meeting them is so cool in, in general, hanging them out, uh, hanging out with them. Right. <laughs> and um, I'm also here because uh, Ernie Ball uh, asked me to do a few demos, which was really cool. That's awesome. And so I, you know, I was like, yeah, obviously I have, I'm going to NAMM this year. There's no way I'm going to, you know, not do that. Sure. It's too exciting for me. 
Um, so yeah, I just did a demo for Ernie Ball, hung out with some buddies, and just checking out all the new cool guitars, booths, all that, and a little networking here and there, but even though this is for me like a business-ish trip, I'm still like... It's so hard with it, music I, it's, in general. Like, you know, this is... I, I don't vacation ever. This is this is my vacation yeah. for me. Yeah, and so it's I doing something you love, too. It's not like you're going to like a, a pharmaceutical convention exactly. or, or an accounting convention. It's, exactly. it's a music convention, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely really cool. And I saw the Ernie Ball tent or tent or whatever you call it. I just call yeah. it tent because it's always like a tent at a festival. Yeah. But the Ernie Ball, Ball booth here is just hopping all the time. I, I The lines yes. around the... Uh, and did you do a demo on the on the little stage they have yeah, inside? Yeah, it was really fun. They have a nice setup there, man. It's just nice and everyone's just around. Do you have a big crowd? I, I, I had a bigger crowd than I thought. <laughs> Let me put That's it what I'm saying. Yeah. I think for whatever reason, not whatever reason, we all know Ernie Ball's an amazing company, yeah. but uh, they're attracting a lot of, uh, of viewers for, for the demos, and there's so many different kinds of people that are up there, whether it's metal yeah. or folk or, or classic or, or whatever. There's all kinds of different guitar players around. That's what I've noticed walking around is like, yeah, it seems like a majority of, of the guitarists here come from the harder rock style, yeah, but... Yeah. There's some really good, like, folksy, acoustic, uh, jam band type of guitarists, and it's refreshing to hear because, I mean, I, I love chugging as much as the next guy, but <laughs> um, it's cool to hear, like, different different kinds of solos and arpeggios right. and different tones and, and whatnot. So that's really, really cool as, as well. That's what I like about it so far today. Mm. Um, so talk about, uh, first off, what is what is it about Canada that is producing so many great youtubers <laughs> canada and youtubers um we don't have much else to do there <laughs> to yeah, be i can relate you know like there's definitely you know this there is a scene there um mm -hmm. but nowhere near obviously you know cali la and a lot of places sure. in the u.s um so it's also know. easier to make your mark though oh yeah that too it is a little easier to make your mark. but like if you're going the band route right which i i did and i went the youtube route sure it's it's tough man like there's you know you, you you're a local band and you get on i see i see some bands when i go out to shows doing it and you know, respect to them. That shit ain't easy, right? No. Um, but yeah, it's it's just I think tougher there, and you know we have downtown, and that's kind of it. You know, I, <laughs> I don't know. At least for me, obviously, there's other people find a bunch of other. Sure. Things I mean, there. it's just like it's you, it's Baina, it's Stevie T. It's yeah. like it, you guys are, are are ruling the the north, as they say. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, yeah, really cool stuff, and, and I also enjoy, you know, I enjoy watching your YouTube channel, um, you. but I really enjoy your, your original content that you put out with, um, that, I'm sorry, the name escapes me, but the, the singer that you had. Oh, and, Andy and, Sizzik. Man, yeah. that song is great. That's one of those, it's a single, but you can repeat it so much because it's just, there's a lot going on in it, and, and the video is really interesting as well, so I really Thank enjoyed you. it. Yeah, Yeah. so that's Termina. That's my project with my buddy Andy. Uh, you know, I, start, I knew Andy just for a long time from YouTube. I found him from YouTube okay. as well, which is kind of funny. And we just started with covers together, having fun stuff. And then, you know, we just kind of clicked on not just the professional level, but like just on a personable level too. Like, we're, just, we're really just good friends in general. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're like, you know what? Like, let's let's give it a go. Like, why not? Um, the band originally started with actually somebody else hitting me up and being like, it was actually Ezekiel Pearson, ex Down and Dirty. Hmm. Who was like, um, hey man, like I know, you, I know of you. You want to start something, you know? We want to actually get something going because he was struggling, you know, down and dirty, actually not going anywhere in that time. Okay. I was like, sure. So we started writing, and then it just sadly didn't work out. I'm still good friends with Ezekiel though, and mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, if you know, I was in that perspective of wanting to start a band back in that time and wanting to hit someone else up, who would have I hit up? Andy. Right. Not, right. 
So I hit abandon. He was like, done, let's go. Uh, he didn't even question. I showed him one demo, and he was like, oh, Nick, obviously. <laughs> even though he's in, like, 50 bands, which is hilarious to me. But, um, Never too many. Yeah, so um, we just worked, worked, worked. We got that first single, Lucid, out. He was in Toronto, actually, for something else, which is extremely lucky. So right. So didn't have to fly him out or anything. Okay, so where's there. he originally from? Oh my! Um, he, I know he's residing in Florida now. Okay. I don't. I think he's from. So that was gonna be my next question: Is did you ever plan on taking this from a studio project to a live project? But seeing that he's in Florida, it just might be a little bit of a difficult thing to do. Yeah. No. Um. And also, like, you know, I'm I'm a YouTuber. You know, I have yeah. my my career-ish job, whatever people want to call it. I have things I got to do. I like being at home. I'm a homebody. I'm not okay. a guy That's who fair. likes, you know, being away from home. I really notice that about. It's it's either one or the other with YouTubers. Whether you know it's you you Stevie T, Andrew Bainey, even you guys seem like to be more homebodies. Yeah. But then like there's Jared Dines who's like not that way. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know actually. Yeah, but I, I know what you mean. In terms yeah, of, like, yeah. Some YouTubers it, are. It, it's it's a, it's a very uh, strict shift there. There's really one or the other. Um, but that's really cool. Now the other thing that talk about with with Canadian YouTube is Banger TV, oh, which we know very well from yes. Shred Wars too. Yeah. We got the champion in the house here. Uh -huh. um, first off, that guitar they gave you—that's a nice guitar, man. I, I I love that I have that guitar because um, you know with my channel and content, I do a lot of different tuning stuff. Yeah. You know? So I always need just like I don't even have a guitar I can use in standard tuning. Mm -hmm. I didn't have one. Because I use drop C, drop B, drop A sharp. Spell in your lap. It's it, perfect. Exactly. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, a guitar I can just keep in standard and drop D. It won't move from there. I'm just, I have that guitar finally. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, and it, it's just good playing guitar. It sounds great. But, yeah, that was a, that was an interesting experience. So that that's the one thing that, you know, when I watched the Shred, Shred Wars, um, and for those that don't know, Banger TV is a YouTube channel. A uh, bunch of different really cool metal aficionados on there. Um, Sam, I think, is the one. Sam Dunn, yeah. Sam Dunn, who I found Banger TV from his documentary. I did too. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's just, if what what's the uh, what's the documentary? Metal, metal? Evolution or yes, something like I that. If, if you are in the metal, you need to check out this documentary. I've got friends of mine who hate metal, but they've watched a documentary and it's entertaining it's and it's really informative and it's just really cool. So I would check that out. It used to be free on YouTube. I don't know if it is anymore. Yeah, I'm sure you can. Um, but yeah, that experience when you when you do something live like that, because as a YouTuber, you can edit your content. You can yep. make sure it's 100% finite perfect. Mm -hmm. When you do something in that capacity where it's like they're putting you on the spot, there's no editing, mm -hmm. there's no outtaking, at least not that I, I know. It, oh, it's yeah, got to be pretty nerve-wracking. It's what you play is what you hear. And there's a, there's a crowd, right? Oh, there's a, yeah, so there's a mini crowd there of like essentially the... The performers, as well right. as like just the people working around there that are there in the crowd, and then there's the three judges, which, which is my... so just because yeah. those are those are some big names. Those I, I wasn't it. Uh, oh, who was on there? This the... there was Ben from Dillinger. Okay, right. Plan, Alex um, from Testament, yep. and then Sam Dunn, right? Um, so yeah, those were big names. It was a little nerve wracking, but um, yeah, it's it's an interesting experience. Um, I think I was a little luckier as a YouTuber in general because obviously I have my content that's you know like. Some videos like the riffs and all that stuff. That's obviously I sure. edit. I compose one, record it, do that, play through it, and all that. But when it comes to covers and all that, my covers have always just kind of been like, you know, one take videos. Mm -hmm. That's kind of been the iconic thing. So it's like I've I've pretty much been playing those live ish. You know, as right. I grew, I eventually started to be like, okay, like here's some random string noise. Like I go back and edit <laughs> that out sure. to make it prettier and all that. But in terms of like actually performing something from start to finish, 
without doing it like piece by piece, I was a little more already accustomed to that. Okay. So the whole idea of playing live wasn't an issue. And I also live stream a lot, actually. Okay. Um, so even like playing in front of people, it's kind of weird because you're not playing in front of an actual person, you're playing in front of a computer which exactly. people are watching. Um, but that also kind of warned me to that idea as well. It was a little more comfortable because I'm used to playing live in, in front of somewhat people. And then I also, you know, when I was a little younger, I'd play some live shows here and there. So sure. the stage fright wasn't as, as much there. I think it's more of the improvisation that, that is yeah. the difficult part because you just have to, especially in Shred Wars, where you have to stand out. I mean, that's that's the goal of Shred Wars. It's, yeah, it's, it's Shredders, of, yeah, Shredders of Metal 2, I think it was. Shredders of Metal 2, sorry. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, you have to stand out. You have to... Uh, uh, do different kind of riffing, and, and, and I remember they complimented you on your tone more than anything, which was great, oh, and they complimented you on, and I, I saw this one coming, but they complimented you on your contemporary playing, because a lot of these guys are very much old-school, thrashy, yes. you know, just shredders, yeah, and, exactly. and you offered a little bit more genty type of lower tones and different things. I was actually hoping you were going to do something in, like, drop G or whatever, but, <laughs> you know, it's what it is. But it was really cool either way to, to see uh, a refreshing style of playing in that competition. Yeah, thank you. No, I honestly, when I, because uh, my buddy Bradley, who works at Banger TV, he was like, um, dude, you're in Toronto. You literally live 10 minutes from our studio. There's a competition. Do you even know about this? I was like, what? <laughs> that was such a shock to me. Right. Uh, so he's like, I was like, I, at that point, I had to try. Even though I was like, eh, it's a shredding competition. Like, I know I'm not a shredder. I'm not going to go to anybody and say, I'm a fast shredder. I'm some crazy, tacky guitarist. I am I am not. I have maybe capabilities here and there. You know, I, I can shred if I need to and all that. But it's just not my style. It's not what sure. I'm doing. With I'm a rhythm guitarist myself. I, I, I understand yeah. completely. I like rhythmic mixed stuff. I like creating melodies. I'm, I'm more of a songwriter, even I'd say, like, sure. in that sense, right? So it was definitely out of my comfort zone, and I was a little worried going into that because it's shredders, right? They're expecting exactly mm -hmm. that, you know, kind of the older school thrash style shredding, which was super out of my realm. I, I, you know, I haven't done the arpeggios and going up, up and down pentatonics and blues in, like, years. I yeah. haven't done that for a long time. Um, so I was worried going in, but as soon as I went in, I was just like, like I said, I was going to do this anyways. I had to do it. It's right here. would be stupid to throw away this opportunity mm -hmm. um you know it takes a day of my time whatever let's go have fun and if i embarrass myself then i embarrass myself you know what though if you embarrass yourself it drives traffic to your channel anyway so yeah that too i mean traffic <laughs> to my channel but like I, at that point i'm like i'm lucky that i have a youtube channel which is not always serious because i embarrass myself all the time anyway so <laughs> it kind of was like eh, what, what's just doing it on someone else's channel if sure. i screw up and all that sure. so um yeah, I did that, but yeah, exactly. Everyone was very thrashy and fast. I was like, oh, shit. You know, I'm, I'm screwed. That's, I'm assuming, what they're exactly looking for. But I, I got, you know, I was, I was lucky, I guess, that a lot of the judges were looking for essentially a bit more of that, but a bit more of that modern twist they just seemed to enjoy, and that's just what I happened to have. So I was just like, oh, well, great. I'll just do more of what I do then, you know, instead of worrying about trying to fit in that thrashy, very right. fast playing stuff. I was just start to do more comfortable things that I'm more used to, and um, it just seemed to work. So I was like, great, <laughs> I guess that works. Like yeah, that. hey, man, that's awesome. Um, did you see at all they're previewing Shredders of Metal 3? Did you see what it is? Yeah, drummers, man, that's awesome. I'm, go I'm very curious how that's going to go, because sometimes drumming, drumming is really something you can't just... With guitar, you can do something really complex, mm. and, and it kind of... Uh, puts the focus on the technicality aspect yeah. but if you go up there and you're just double bass kicking the whole time and 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 uh blast beats and stuff i don't think that's gonna win a shred wars 
Uh, yeah, or I mean, shredders of metal. I guess it depends what they're looking for. Drums also much more, I think. I mean, guitar and drums, I think, have the same versatility in terms of possibilities. But sure. in general, obviously, drums are more played rhythmically and you exactly. Know, in, in that sense. So that's what I'm curious of is, yeah. is to see how how can a drummer go up there and shine the way. It's it's a little bit different than how a guitarist goes up there and, and shines. I, I guess they're just going to be looking for more of a, in general technical player. So not just speed, but also rhythmic techniques. Um, you know, doing modulations, triplets, and throwing in here, going back and forth. Sure. Adding cool accents, all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I'm excited to see that because I think it'll just be fun to, to watch something. Oh yeah, that's gonna yeah. be really cool. Um, so if I had to guess. You have, let me think here, one, two, three, four, five guitars you feature on your channel? Um, that's a good guess, and I will say yes to that. Because <laughs> I, I have my two Ernie Balls, which because I'm endorsed by Ernie Ball. I love, right. love Ernie Ball, best company ever. Um, I have my two Schecters, which are my babies, because I, I pretty much half of my life I've used them. They got me through all my shit, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, I'll, I'll never sell those guitars simply for the fact they're just sentimental oh, to yeah, me in that absolutely. way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I have that, the uh, Eclipse that I got from Shredders, and I have an acoustic, which I don't really throw out. So uh, I was right, five. You yeah, know? Yeah. So I would guess, if, if I had to guess, I would say your favorite is the Hellraiser. That's my sentimental favorite. Okay. Like, that's, like, I just, something feels right when I play that. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, I have nothing bad to say against Schecter, but uh, just in terms of, like, when I pick it up, I just, you know... It, it just feels like home in a sense. I feel you the same I mean? way. I, it took me a long time to finally figure out the kind of guitar that I was looking for. I went through cycles of all different kinds of guitars. And when I decided that I wanted to be a Schecter player, mm. I got a C1 Platinum. You have the C1 as well. Uh, yeah, the hell yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and you pick it up and you play it and it's just smooth. It's just silky. You know what I mean? There's something about the way that it's built, the way the Schecters are built, that are very easy to play mm -hmm. and they're very light. Um, and they have a great tone and, and you know, active, passive pickups. I, I don't know. I, I prefer active pickups. It's not that hard to put a 9-volt in a guitar. It's right, just right. something that I like to do. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of the same way as far as sentimental goes. I've yeah. got two Schecters. I've got a Chapman. I've got oh nice. Uh, I've got three Schecters. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say my, my baritone Chapman is my favorite, but as far as sentimental and what I'm most comfortable with on stage and stuff, it's definitely my, my C1. So. Yeah, sentimentally, just because it brings back so many good memories, my Hellraiser is just like, it has a special place in my heart. In terms of my favorite guitar to play and just pick up and like just have some fun with mm -hmm. is my uh, JP6. That, that stealth black, man. So comfy, nice and easy. It sounds good, and uh, I, I love that guitar so damn much. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I agree. Um, so what are your goals in 2020? I mean, it's Ooh. for a YouTuber. I mean, the possibilities are endless, obviously. Yeah. Um, what I would struggle with, I never plan on being a YouTuber. I hate being on camera. This is <laughs> oh, why really? I'm doing the podcasting. It's audio. Right, right. Um, but I, what I would struggle with is, is creating new content to a point where just making sure everything's like so fresh all the time mm -hmm. and not repetitive. And, and, and I think a lot of, not you, but a lot of uh, up-and-coming YouTubers will fall victim to their comfort zone. Yeah. Um, and I think that can be detrimental in the long run, although you do want to play to why people are watching. It's, it's a very complex thing, and how to balance your content. Exactly. No, that's you, you described it perfectly, actually. It's kind of finding the good blend between comfortable creating a brand. You know, there's some channels that do one thing, and they get big off that one thing, and right. that's amazing. Uh, but then there's always that issue sometimes where they finish everything they can do with that one thing and it's kind of like 
well, my whole fan base is based around this kind of one thing. Sure. So how do I convert that now? So, um, and then there's the polar opposite, which I was starting to delve into a little, like too much variety essentially, where it's like you're diversifying so much that you don't have an identity anymore with what your channel is doing. So it's a little risky because you're kind of banking on people watching your channel and trusting you as a personality instead sure. of always being like watching their favorite series, right? Because you have a bunch of different series. So it's like, I don't know, maybe this week they won't like this series, right? But you just got to hope that you have that type of fan base that's like, okay, well, that's fine. Maybe next week they're, he's going to do something. You know, right. And I think that's where like. personality comes in a little bit. You do some of those, you know, fake Russian accents yeah. and all the good stuff. And I think when push comes to shove, if a creator makes something that I might not be as fond of that week, mm -hmm. but I really still like the personality a lot, I'm still probably going to watch just because it's it's a fun thing to watch and I'm comfortable with the personality over the content. So that's kind of something to, to exactly. consider. And that's my, my goal. My biggest issue and, and goal was essentially now, because I went a little, I think, too deep end with the variety, was trying to take myself back a little, mm -hmm. um, kind of give me give my channel more of a specific identity you know go back a bit more if the cover is like come on bring those back that's what made me in the first place right, right? and have a little bit more of a focus where people will be more comfortable with that stuff and i think so far it's been working out but even at, you know i'm always struggling with that you know do i add more variety are people getting bored with just the same thing or do i add less variety are people who are subscribing for one thing not getting enough of what they want you know, right. so it's it's such a hard thing to balance. And there's so many analytics that are available to YouTubers that you could dive <laughs> yeah. in there and be like, well, just just run yourself crazy yeah, with it, all that it, stuff. Yes, it drives you crazy. Yeah. It's, I tr I've grown a little more, especially over five years of doing this, Jesus, <laughs> um, that even though, of course, the numbers, you know, matter, just like anyone who runs their own business, they want to make sure, you know, it's, it's their baby, right? They want right. to make sure it's always growing and that one day it's not just going to be gone. That's essentially the big thing is that fear, right? So the numbers matter in that way. But other than that, I, you know, I try not to check the analytics too much because it's, it drives you crazy. It's yeah. just too much information. And, you know, yes, one day you're going to do worse than the next one. And then maybe the day after you're going to do better than though you've ever done before. So it's just like. And you could make a video yeah. that, ha that performs poorly and you could be like, oh, I'm never going to make that video again. And it could have, it could perform poorly poorly and it could have nothing to do with the video it exactly. could have to do with when it was published or what something exactly. you know so it, it, it is something that you have to definitely take yourself back from and be like okay let's try it again maybe it'll work this time and then if there's a pattern and it doesn't work exactly. then okay now now i'm gonna relinquish that and do something exactly. else there's so many factors that it you, you can't just be like you see one thing only and it, you know you think that's it and you mm -hmm. never do that again and that's something i had to also learn the hard way because i would try those one-off videos and if some of them aren't successful i'd stop it i'd be like didn't work but and then sometimes it wouldn't work but then i try again and be like oh all of a sudden that's my biggest series like my heaviest riff series that's right my biggest series on my channel now and when i started it no one really cared but then I was like, you know, let's commit a little. And oh, my God, look at that. It, it seemed to work out. So, you know, but there's also some where I've tried that and then it ended up not actually working. I was like, OK, I'm not going to beat this dead horse. It doesn't work. Done. Let's yeah, move on. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Actually, I have a funny question about that. So your tuning series, I always enjoy um, the ones that are like, for example, G sharp standard or F standard or whatnot. How how many of those bands are always doing it in the standard or how many of those bands are you just converting to standard for the video? Oh no, so I don't convert anything. So the heavy okay. the whole point of the heaviest riff series is to showcase bands that literally use those tunings. Okay. So I didn't realize that so many bands use standard tunings. Yeah. Like that's something that I was shocked at that because I was like, oh, there's no way that there's like 20 bands that use F sharp standard and I'm like, huh. 
maybe oh. it's just maybe it's just converted from F sharp and, and or whatever it is. But no, I guess I guess you're right. No, yeah, the, the whole point essentially when it comes to even just as a you know a person watching YouTube, and that, I always try to get in the mindset of a, a person who wants to watch this content because sure. I myself am a, I'm a fan of YouTube. That's why. It's, I, that's why I create content, you know, and I always want my content to have that somewhat addictive cult quality as when I watch other people's and I'm so addictive, I can't wait for the next one to come, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to have my uh, people who follow me to have that same feeling best I can do it, right? Um, so no, yeah, that's, that's a series where it's just, I essentially showcase a tuning and the whole idea behind it is pe people are tuned to a specific thing, like maybe some guitarists, you know, they really love drop C, they really love standard E. Right. And they're going to see, they're going to, it's going to pop in their feet and be like, oh my God, I love this tuning. Let's go see what this is about. And then they see like 20 plus bands. Then I'm sure, you know, for some of them, maybe half of them are new to them. Maybe all of them are new to them. And they'll mm -hmm. be like, wow, there's so much new music now that I can go discover, go explore, go play, better myself as a guitarist if I want to cover some of their songs and learn more right. about it. You know what I mean? So, and I think that's where I come in. I mean, I, I prefer certain tunings. And if I see, for example, one of my favorites is just G. I love Drop G. Right. And if I see a video that you make, Heaviest Riffs in Drop G, I'm going to watch it, and then I'm going to pick out the riffs I really like, and I'm going to learn them myself. Yeah. Because exactly. I'm like, okay, I now have a visual for it. Not everybody makes a cover of, and especially a lot of the bands you cover aren't like super popular you know yeah. you have your popular ones but there's, there's some that are like really like shrezzers for example great yeah. great uh, i love my i love the russian band there's, yeah. there's such an underrated scene right now all these russian bands but yeah yeah man that that that, that, that uh what's that song Ana anarak anarak yeah. that jesus i could listen to that and repeat over and over nothing like a saxophone and gent it's just <laughs> it's just perfect mm. um the other thing that i find really interesting and why i originally started subscribing to you was how fast you learn new songs. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple in particular. I, I, I'm a big Breaking Benjamin fan, yes. and I know that you've covered their songs very fast. <laughs> um, I was doing a little bit of like Facebook Live stuff with, with playing you know new songs, so mm. I think what ended up happening was it was, I want to say it was Red Cold River maybe. Okay, yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, I need to find a good cover on youtube so i can look at it and try to do it myself and i yeah. think that's how i stumbled upon your channel and i was like well how the fuck does this happen the song came out like an hour ago this guy he's got a, the fucking uh, playthrough up i'm like that's crazy how do you how do you transpose everything so quickly oh a mix of things um practice obviously just experience of doing it and, and all that shit that's the, the kind of given one that people don't want to hear because they want the secret answer right uh, that's the hard fact of one of the sides the other fact um, is straight up knowing theory and trying to get in the mindset of the guitarists themselves. Like, for, for, for example, bands that I actually know. You know, there's a lot of bands I cover that I don't even know before I, you know, I'm like, oh, they're popping off. Okay, let's see what they're about. I'll check it out. I'll be like, all right, let's do a cover, right? Um, but there's some bands I really know, so I kind of know the specific patterns sometimes. I know the habits, basically, of sure. the guitarists a little bit. So I try to get in their mindset, their kind of patterns, their usual chord shapes that they're comfortable with. So it's much easier to transpose in that way. But essentially, I go through the process of any song. What's the tuning? Sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm not. Maybe it's in a drop equivalent of drop G or a standard equivalent G. Sometimes I'm off. But I go with what I go with because, again, I don't know. I'm not the sure. guitarist. I can't. Sometimes I can't ask the guitarist. I'm lucky. you know. Right, right. But a lot of times I can't just ask the guitarist what's the tuning in, right, to make sure I get it all right. Um, so I go from there. I try to find the kind of key of the song. So I use music theory go through a few of the patterns, trust my ear, and I try to divide the song piece by piece, 
and just do it. And that just requires so much patience. Yes. And I think that's something a musician doesn't <laughs> normally have. I can speak from experience there. Um, so bravo. Thank you. And I think if you do ever get back into being in a band someday, mm. just never say never. Um, that'll bode really well for you because you know I manage bands for a living, and the one thing I see, oh, awesome. thank you, the one thing I see is uh, just a lack of patience, especially in our generation. There's a big uh, instant gratification yes. uh, factor there. Um, so you do have a virtue that a lot of people don't have. So maybe just hold on to that because that's that's <laughs> something that uh, I, I don't see very often. But it's really good because it it produces the content that you have mm. in a really cool, quick fun manner and uh, yeah definitely it's okay. uh yeah patience is um honestly i think that's that's a huge thing that like you said a lot of people don't have they want that instant gratification but also it's just like they you know even like smaller youtubers and stuff they instantly want it to work yeah and it's you know when i started a lot of youtubers were just being youtubers to be youtubers like they like you know just to have fun to try it it wasn't like i need to actually make a career mm -hmm. YouTube. like i didn't because i don't it. believe yeah. that the the uh revenue generation would was what it was just just a few years ago. Now the way that they've no, structured yeah. everything, it's it's a lot. I don't want to say it's hit. easier to make yeah. money, but it's uh, if you do it right, you can you can make a good amount of money on YouTube. It's just a yeah, it's a little more commercial in the sense where people are. It's just there's more information on how to do it out there, kinda. Um, no, but yeah, just that patience thing is honestly so important. A lot of people just aren't patient and they just want it right away, right now. And the the, uh, the reason that even I know myself and a few other YouTubers I've I know and talked to the reason they got to where they are is simply they didn't do YouTube to be a YouTuber they just did it because it was fun they wanted to cover songs and shit and then they noticed people liked it and that in itself gave them that gratification and I think like, that's where yeah. you get it forced like okay for example let's say you're you're you hear a new song you're like I'm gonna put out a cover video now because I want to be that guy that does it in the first hour or whatever it is <laughs> and uh, you start to learn it and there's a certain technique in the song that maybe is giving you a hard time. Mm. Well, somebody who's doing it forced, who's doing it just to be a YouTuber rather than just for fun, yeah. might get really frustrated, put down their guitar, forget about it. But exactly. if you're doing it just for fun, it's almost like, all right, so I play a lot of golf. Yeah, oh, I yeah. enjoy golf. And I, I like playing for fun. I take it a little seriously, but nothing like the guys that are throwing clubs and screaming at people well, on the course, courses and yeah. shit. And I've learned that when I'm on the course, the more relaxed I am and the more just easygoing, I'm just out here having a good time, it's nice out, whatever, the better I'm going to play. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with guitar. The yeah. more you can just sit there and say, this, this is just fun. This isn't a chore. You yeah. know, a lot of people will treat their YouTube channel as a chore. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't mean to bring him out again, but Jared Dines actually just had a video about this, how... He tried the week, or the, uh, I don't know, there was like a couple days a week content yeah, yeah. or whatever, and he's like, it's becoming a chore, and I'm not having fun anymore. Mm. So it's really about the love first. Yes. And the, and the business part of it second, I would say. Yes, a very close second, might I add. Right. Because right? you don't want to disjoint those two too far, because then it, you start to lose focus with what you're doing, and you start to take things not seriously in a bad way. Because sure. you want this to almost be like uh, a fun kind of competitive sport in yeah a way yeah it's yeah like, you know like you're doing that and you're training because you love it but the thing is if there's no you know actual competitive reason or you know yeah no, there's no it, point then, then there's yeah it loses some of its you lose your fun. goal almost yeah even though obviously you're just doing it for fun but also the things that are slightly pushing you further is obviously you're like oh I, you know this is my lifestyle like so that's asserting that even further like this is my life i can make this a career like these are all great things but regardless it's all 
over the foundation of that pure foundation of I just love doing this. Mm -hmm. So if that pure foundation isn't there and those other things are priorities instead, then you're screwed. Simple as that. And that is why people say all the time, if you are in a band to make money, like if that's your first reason to make, you're never going to make money. It's just not how it works. If you're in a band for the love of it, the experience of it, and you, yes, your goal is to get big enough where you can provide for yourself and your family and whatnot. But that, if you go into any kind of project with the goal of number one making money, even even a day job, yeah, yeah. because you want to you want to have fun at your day job. Exactly. You don't want the office space experience. You, you, you want to feel you want to enjoy it and at least be feel stimulated, like your mind is working in yes. some kind of fun fashion. You know? Yes, yeah. exactly. So I, I think that is a, a big point there. Um, so yeah. I think we're good here, but uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming on, uh, talking with me for a little bit during this crazy experience. Did you get here yesterday as well? Or uh, we you? got here Wednesday, actually, so two That's, days okay. ago. So yeah. that, I, I've talked to my wife about it. I'm like, I need to plan this differently. I've got a five-month-old at home. Uh, so I was really trying to figure out how can I do this while making sure she's taken care of throughout the week. But as she gets older, it's going to get hopefully a little bit easier. Right. Because I'm like, I'm here for two days. It's so much to do in two days. Oh, yes. It's, it's just uh, I'm packing everything in together, and it's like, uh, I don't know. I'm lucky that I should be able to do this every year, and uh, hopefully you can come back every year. Hopefully Ernie Ball uh, invites Dude, you again. If Ernie Ball says get by here, I got you, Ernie Ball. I love That's Ernie awesome. Ball. So That's awesome, man. Well, appreciate uh, you coming on. You want to plug your stuff before we, we uh, wrap it up? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, yeah. first of all. Um, yeah. YouTube, um, Nick Nocturnal. I do fun stuff. I don't know. If you like metal, check it out pretty much. Uh, my band Termina, we're going to be working on new stuff this year. Uh, we should hopefully have an album out. Let's. I don't know when, but let's say this year. I don't want to promise anything, right? Especially single. Me and Andy are always working on stuff. We got you know a lot of tracks lined up. It's sounding very cool. You know, If you like the first single, Lucid, yeah. it, Lucid is the perfect balance of what you're going to hear. You're going to hear stuff that's heavier. A little stuff that's a little more chill, and then stuff like Lucid, which is the good kind of in between. Um, other than that, I'm working on some Nick Nocturnal stuff, YouTube projects always here and there with other people and whatnot, covers, reactions, all that. But um, yeah, it's it's all gonna be posted on my channel, Instagram, all that. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Cool. Thank you very much, Nick. No problem. Hope you enjoyed our latest episode of the All Things Music podcast. On Friday, we have Chris Bianchi in the studio. Uh, owner of Legend Recording, CB Entertainment. Uh, he gets bands on festivals. He gets bands in front of PR. He does a lot of really good uh, publishing work, uh, just good business acumen overall. So very excited to have Chris Bianchi on the podcast on Friday. Um, until then, please, again, subscribe, rate five stars, like us on Facebook. We now have a Twitter we have don't have an Instagram yet, working on that. But uh, get us on all of our socials. And uh, as always, we're out. 